0: Well, hello, humans. Welcome back to the Awkward Turtle at Work podcast with me, your host, Emery. It's been a while since I've said that last That feels almost very, very strange to say out loud. Uh, It's actually been exactly one year since the last episode was released. Um, So it's been a long time coming. And thank you very much for your patience uh, in the meantime. To kickstart the return, I have partnered up with EY in a series of topics I am personally very passionate about. Transgender Inclusion. Now, going forward, the whole podcast will be centered around diversity, equity and inclusion, not just in the workplace, but also in our daily lives, how we can be more inclusive, equitable and just embrace the diversity all around us. In our everyday life, so joining me today, I have two wonderful guests. Um, they both have a very different perspective and different experience when it comes to being in and around the transgender community, which I think is going to create a really interesting conversation um, to be had uh, and something some some voices that don't usually get picked up in the kind of the, the the mainstream media a lot. So please welcome Terry and Mia.
1: Uh, thank, thank you, Um uh, My name is Terry McDowell. My pronouns are she and her. Uh, I am a partner with Ernst & Young. I am based in Toronto, Canada, and I am a transgender woman.
2: Hello, I'm from Manila. I'm from the Philippines, and I'm here as a supportive parent um, to my tr- uh, trans son. I have three kids, so so he's the middle one.
0: Welcome, welcome. So we have Terry, who is from the community, and we also have Mia, who is obviously a super, super ally of us, um, who is a parent of a transgender kid. A perspective I think we don't really hear enough from the mainstream media, so I'm super excited to get into this conversation today. So let's start with you, Mia. Um, when we first got connected, we spoke about, well, I asked you uh, how everything's going, and you know what was your initial reaction when your kid came out to you? so and the word fear came up a lot right tell the listeners exactly what you mean by that from a parent's uh, perspective
2: well first when he told me it was just the two of us and he was you know a little teary maybe scared you know scared of what my reaction would be so my first reaction really was to hug him immediately and say it's all right like Nothing's changing. That was the first thing I said. Nothing. There's not no. There's nothing different. Of course, it was a shock to me. Yeah, mm. but I'm. I, I wanted to um, reassure. That was my first thing. Like I wanted to reassure him that it's really nothing for me. I mean, it's not changing. But then, when of course, when I processed it and the thoughts started coming in, yeah, that's where the fear was. And and then so the thing was, I told him, you know, as I said, it's nothing. I really have no problem, no issue with it. The only thing is the uh, the outside world is like my fear that somebody will bully you, somebody will hurt you because you know they don't understand a, something that's different from them and the, the small-minded people. And then he immediately rolled his eyes and like, no one's gonna bully me, mom. I'm like, you sure? You sure? Because you know I might go to jail. <laughs> You know, you know, I'm ready to go like uh, Mama Bear, and <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just that it's really more, it's more mm. about the the other people who might not understand, or you know, some like some people their their the things to hurt or to taunt or ridicule. So that's what that's what I don't want him to experience.
0: And do you think the fear of what other people are like is because of what we read online, or, or where do you think that's coming from?
2: Actually, here in the Philippines, I think as a country, it's it's pretty tolerant. Personally, for me, it's more scary. Maybe if we live in North America, yeah, especially in the U.S. But like what's happening right now. Um, so yeah, I guess things I read it maybe not really as serious. As what I read, but maybe little things like, you know, like little bullying, little hurtful words in school, maybe things like that, that, you know, sometimes words can also like hurt more than other things. So it's even just just little things like that, that might that I might not even know about. Right. Because if if you get beat up and you get a, a black eye and a bruise, I, I will know. Right. Mm-hmm. But if it's little words said here and there and then also that like I'm scared that I won't know that he's hurting. He won't tell me right? So so that's more my, my, those were my initial fears. But then later on, like talking to him and talking to other people, I realized also that their generation is more accepting. Mm. So like, maybe let's say, like, if, if I was him in my, in my, when I was his age in my school, maybe I would have heard stuff. But now their mm. generation is like, oh, okay, next, what's next? Okay, so, So, what? (laughs) Right? So then I I got a little bit more comfortable and lost a little bit of the fear. Yeah. So I'm sure, and I also prepare him, I'm sure he's going to still hear stuff somewhere in his life. Yeah. Whenever. So he just has to be ready.
0: That is 100% accurate. I can definitely voucher that. So I go around to schools and in corporates to do some talks uh, around transgender and around kind of diversity, equity and inclusion work. And what I find quite interesting is that when I actually go to the schools, the, the kids look at me as if like, why are you telling us this? No, we, we know the stuff. No, we, we know. <laughs> so actually the way I do it with corporates and the way I do it in school is is, is quite a big contrast. Um, I feel like sometimes when I do it with students and, and kids, um, I have to go a lot more in depth. Um, And it's so interesting how that plays out. Terry, over to you. Um, The annoying thing, at the same time, beautiful thing, but the annoying thing about podcasts is that We can't see our faces. Uh, Listeners can't see our faces. And Terry and I were just kind of smiling through all that, uh, (laughs) listen to Mia's story, listen to how Mia reacted to the whole thing. And it's just wonderful to hear. But Terry, we spoke about this before. What are your thoughts about kind of what was said just now? And also, I know you personally quite, passionate about how fear is being used in these conversations at a very macro level in the mainstream media. Tell us about your experience and just kind of how things are in general at the moment.
1: Yeah, th- thanks, Amory, and thanks thanks for sharing me. Uh, I think I'd, I'd probably start with a little bit of shared experience across generations, which is, you know, speaking of your son... Uh, and I'm in my fifties, for example, but I think it's that fear of the external world that resonates with most of us. Uh, I, I can certainly speak to personal experience that it did for me. Um, I, as I say, I'm in my fifties, so I've always known that I was different. Put it that way. I uh, didn't know the word transgender growing up. I learned that much later in life, but I always knew I didn't kind of fit in the in the binary. Uh, that kind of retreat from identifying with who you are was largely a factor of the outside world I would say Uh, you you know I can only speak for myself but that understanding of who I was was pretty unshakable from as long as I I can remember Uh, you know I I really kind of came to grips and started to face it with the outside world uh, when I was in my 20s I would say and I've been really fortunate that I've had uh, a few people in my life always who kind of just got me and so I've always had really Close circle that, that is known, uh, but again, different time, different age, and I, I think this was new territory for a broad, broad swath of society, including peers at the time. Uh, and so, my uh, opening up story is fairly lengthy, to be honest. You know, I, like I say, I always knew. I came out with people closest to me uh, in in my my 20s, a few before that with mixed experience, but I, I really kind of made the definitive determination in my 20s that this is just who I am and, and needed to, to live accordingly. Uh, where, where it differed for me was in the work environment. I was on a professional career, mm-hmm. professional tack, and I just mm-hmm. sensed that being my full self in a professional business environment was going to be career limiting, and as a result of that, that was a much slower burn, if you will, to kind of uh, present and be myself in the work world. So there's a little bit of history. Around. That's that's maybe a longer answer than you were looking for, Emery. But that's the the trajectory uh, that gets me here. I, I do want to kind of emphasize what you said about the younger generation. You're absolutely right. Like like the the high school kids, the, even even younger staff that I work with now, me being in my fifties, some of them were in their twenties. It just, it's, it's like next, like, you know, what are we doing at work today? Like, let's let's get on with that. And and frankly, it's my generation. My generation is, is, is the problem in, in this equation to the extent there is a problem. And, uh, you know, the, the, the world is has shifted around my generation, I would say, and we have some catching up to do. So.
0: It's very interesting what you just said there, um, that... You know your, your younger staff are just like yeah what's what's new let's what what what's in store for us today so, you know let's go on some work. Obviously, this podcast and and all the work that I do now is in and around why is it important and talking about the importance of DEI work and it is a very much a double edged sword um, from my perspective. And, and Terry, you and I we we spoke about this briefly before, is that. You know, we share a kind of similar view when it comes to doing advocacy work uh, and being visible. You know, sometimes we just want to be, you know, living our you know, normal lives amongst society and get on with our work and just, you know, get on with life in general. But at the same time, without these people, without these voices in the media, in everyday conversation it's very hard to drive change. So, you know, how far do you have to be, you know, how forefront do you have to be, you know, at the parade or you know whatever it may be to be, quote unquote, a good advocate. Um, and how visible do you have to be? And at the same time, what if you don't want to be visible? Does that make you a bad person in the community? It doesn't. So, you know, it's about kind of what you can take on. And, and, and what that means is very different for everyone. But I have to obviously talk about the importance of visibility and representation, especially when we talk about glass ceiling. You know, I think when we, when you're a kid, when you're not able to see any role models, when you're not able to relate to anyone in the media, in around your peers, in your circle, anything in your life, it's very hard to have a long-term plan or just have any sort of motivation to live a long, healthy life. And it's just nice to see obviously someone like you to be in a position where you are, I think that gives a lot of hope and it also gives a lot of faith to people who are going through the same thing, who are just starting out the career, thinking that, oh, yeah, what am I going to do with my career? What, what's going to happen to me when I when I come out or you know, do, when I t- transition? What does that, how does that play out with my work?
1: I, again, I, I want to just kind of caveat by saying, you know, this is just my experience and my approach to everyday life, if you will, but... Uh, you know, in my own case, I, my, my goal for continues to be just to be part of society. Uh, you know, I, I very much want to blend. Uh, depending on the environment, you know, you, you lead with different trays of who you are as an individual. First and foremost, when I'm at work, you know, I'm an advisor and I'm a professional. And it's those creds that get me in the room and that I need to, to step in with. So the fact that I'm trans for me is never something that I want to lead with in, uh, in in those settings and, you know, but it's relatively apparent as someone gets to know me that I probably trance. And so that, that experience, you know, is, is one thing that I would just say, but I think I'm relatively introverted by nature. So as a result of true advocacy activism, I think I've kind of learned over time, it takes many forms and, Mm. I think visibility by itself in the trans community is, is, is a form of activism and just living our lives and thriving in our day-to-day life is uh, something that I take pride in and that I'm, I, I like to be out there on that nature. Um, we talked a little bit about what is happening legislatively here in North America in particular, et cetera. Uh, and we can touch on that uh, f- further if you like, but I, I, I raise that only because I think in today's environment, for people such as myself that have a certain form of privilege, we're in a pretty good position. We can be visible. It's sort of an age of activism by necessity. We may have never chosen to be, you know, that visible in uh, broader society or. Or speaking about trans rights, etc. We're really just trying to find our place in the world. But these days, with those rights being taken back, being attacked every which way, uh, as I say, you kind of feel it's incumbent upon you, to the extent you can speak to it, you need to speak to it. So, uh, you know, whatever platform that is, whether that's in a boardroom, whether that's you know with a microphone in hand, etc. Everybody takes it their own way, but. uh, uh, in my experience we're at an inflection point yet again and so it's it's very important
0: Mia yeah, that actually reminds me of a story or, or a conversation you had with your son about joining the LGBT club or starting LGBT club uh, at school
2: yeah yeah so because cause I was asking because he's a member of this and this and and you can like petition to form a club if there's no club like that so they did like a literature club and like and I said uh, is there no LGBT club in your school like he said, no, I said, maybe you should form one, you know, like, I'm sure there's a lot of kids and like, but mom, the school is the
0: LGBT club. <laughs> we don't need it. I'm like, oh, okay, 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 that's fine, whatever. If you don't think you need it, then you don't. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that lovely? And, and I think sometimes, like, you, know, you, you know, it's obviously depending on the situation and context. Like you said, uh Derry, you know, when it comes to the kind of the, the rights kind of thing, the legislative um issues, that's a very different story. But I think in everyday life, you don't have to be part of a club. You don't have to be a part of a network to be part of a thing to be an advocate, right? To be an ally and to be inclusive. And I think that's kind of um the beauty of kind of what your son said about, you know, you don't need to be a part of a club, you know. We we all are just who we are and, and that and that's okay.
2: Right. And and I actually like when we were talking about this when we first spoke. It, it, it got me thinking what you said, like you said, sometimes by forming a club, you segregate yourself more. I'm like, huh, yeah, that's true, because there shouldn't be like them and us, right? So, yeah, do a literature club, do a basketball club. But, yeah, you, I, I kind of got into thinking when you said that sometimes you don't need a club because it makes you more closed off.
0: I'm glad that stayed with you and... You know, I think I was just drawing from my own personal experience. You know, growing up, I was never part of any of these LGBT community or, or involved in these kind of, you know, parades or anything like that, uh, let alone the trans community. And I think that gave me quite a different experience to a lot of people was that I was able to really live amongst my peers and, and, and within society. Now, of course, sometimes, you know, I wish there were people who I can talk to more indefinitely about how I was feeling, what I was going through, um, some guidance, um, to someone who's actually trans as well, uh, who is able to share kind of their experience. So I know what to expect. Uh, I had to figure out a lot of that on my own. So I do see kind of the value in both, but I think, you know, by having these really kind of, you know, separated clubs and, and divided clubs and networks, sometimes I think it can cause harm and you know it does provide safe spaces but I think sometimes you know it's still underneath the idea of division so I think really the the basis of all of this really should start from the word inclusion then you can have these nuances these clubs right where you have to talk about more in-depthly and and create these safe spaces where Maybe perhaps they don't want to talk about it with, with anyone else, someone who knows exactly what they're going through. So I think, you know, there are good and bad in these clubs um, as of as to anything else in life. Uh, it's always a good, you know, have to strike, a good balance. But I feel sometimes as a society, we go a bit too far when it becomes kind of forming groups because you are kind of also buying into that trap of being binary and being in these kind of so-called exclusive clubs. But uh, Mia, I want to stay with you and, and talk about your kind of your way of doing your advocacy in your own way. You know, you are very open with your peers, your friends and family and your own circle. Um, you actively, when we, when we spoke, you know, you're actively finding ways to support your child uh, as comfortable um, to be as comfortable at school as possible. Uh, whether or not this is about how they're being addressed at school, uh, what uniform he's wearing, just just anything, right? Um, and you also shouldn't share a story about asking uh, or get, providing the option of seeing a therapist, uh, for, for your kid, um, which ultimately really kind of helped another person at the end of it. Um, so that's also some form of advocacy and some form of kind of allyship in that sense, you don't have to be the forefront. Now I'm not saying every single trans person needs to be seeing a therapist, but I think having the option there for everyone, in fact, I think everyone should have access to therapy regardless of who you are, uh, but Tell us a little bit more about kind of what that story was about, because I think it's it's very, very powerful. When I first found out, of
2: course, the pronouns were
0: super confusing,
2: right, in the beginning. So I had a close group of friends, and I told them about it. I said, okay, I need to practice with you. He, he, he. Can you please correct me? Can you use he when you talk about him? I just need this, this place to practice he. So I told them about everything, like how he told me, da, da, da. And then I said that, um, I also said that uh, this is not a secret it's not i'm not telling you this as a secret it's just not like you're my closest friend so i'm gonna tell you if i see my next set of outer circles i'm gonna tell them i'm gonna tell them. i'm gonna tell i just keep telling people but since you're the first you're the first yeah and so if you see somebody and you tell them about it, it doesn't matter i mean it's not like i'm not telling you to keep this in right so you can tell your kids your 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 husband and i said especially tell your kids because you know you never know this might open up a topic that they 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 wanted to share or they might have a friend or a friend of a friend whatever and then i also told them that um i asked my son if he wanted to see a, a therapist you know i said i'm not i don't think there's anything wrong with you but i said you know i i read some parent support groups and they said that it's helpful i said so you know maybe sometimes you can't talk to me or you you're 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 shy or whatever and you want to talk to a safe person that is not related to you and you no have no mm-hmm so he said yeah i think i think that that might be a good idea so he has been seeing a therapist and it's it's pretty helpful in fact he doesn't the therapist says that he doesn't she doesn't have to see him anymore yeah. but he still goes so it's like okay so it's helpful right so anyway so then so that's the end of my short story about that then one time i had this friend and um she goes this was during the height of the pandemic where all the, close, the the schools were closed and the kids were, were doing online school whatever she she goes she's so worried because she found out that her 13 year old was cutting so she saw um, marks on her arms and her legs and then she, th- she asked her kid like if uh, what's the matter and she says oh I think I'm just anxious because you know mm-hmm. the pandemic whatever I'm just very whatever whatever so so she since I told her the story about um, my my son going to a therapist she asked me for a referral she asked can you send me um the number that I left? and then finished so then I gave her the number never spoke about it again and then another source that eight-year-old the eight-year-old um didn't know for a while because my son wanted him to be the one to tell her so then finally he told he told the small one who told of course the kids right you know my sister is not my brother <laughs> it's so easy they just they just say that right so so my little one told that what the kid one of the kids of that friend of mine so who's also so yeah he, he wasn't the one who was cutting yeah so and so she goes mom what does that mean they're in the car and she, what does that mean what does that mean i don't understand what does sister becoming a brother mean i don't understand so the mom was like trying to explain, trying to explain to the, to the, the younger one, you know, in, in, in appropriate children terms. And then the older one, the one who was cutting Sunday goes, so mom, if I'm like that, are you okay? Right? Are you going to be okay with it? So it turns out that was the issue all along. So I was saying, see, hey, it's good. I told you. At least now, now she knows that it's okay. We're here. We accept. It's normal. She's not the first one. There's another one. <laughs> you know. So she's so much better. I was happy to share that because that little thing maybe you know prevented her from doing something much worse. Yeah. She was able
0: to express it express it a little sooner because she had somebody to relate to now. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's just literally sometimes it just takes one person to be a bit more open with, you know, what's going on in their own lives and Mm -hmm. and sharing kind of resources, for example. And you just don't know how how that might lead to and and what kind of, uh, I guess, impact that might have. And like we kind of mentioned earlier, is that you don't have to be at every parade and and be the loudest to, you know, do all this kind of work. It's just about talking to your friends and your close friends and whoever you are comfortable with. And you don't know what, what, you know, what, what butterfly effects that, that might cause.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, Warms my heart is is the way I would put it. And you know, again, I I I don't have children myself, so this is anecdotal. As I've uh, been more integrated in the broader Mm -hmm. community, et cetera, and and hearing the parent stories, I mean, you're the you're the heroes in this story, in my mind. It's it's you know, I think as you get older, as a as a trans individual, uh, you know, you just get more life experience, et cetera. But it's harder for children to understand what. You know, they they know who they are. I I, I truly believe that. That was my experience as I said. Where I think they struggle a little bit is when we transition, everyone around us transitions with us that matters. And we can't live that experience for them kind of thing. And I think as a as a mature individual, as an adult, etc., we're sensitive to what's going on around us and the impact that it's having on The external world if you can it's a lot harder for a child i have to believe they don't they don't have that rationalization skill yet they don't have that broader sense of of uh of impact Uh, you know they definitely have empathy they know what's there they just don't know how to navigate it as, as closely so uh you know being uh in a situation and i do know these situations unfortunately where there's unaccepted parents that's incredibly damaging to the individual and You know their their total health but the flip side is when you've got the supportive parents and the supportive communities and the supportive family you know just to see these kids grow into themselves and and go from often being sullen depressed individuals to flourishing it's it's an amazing thing to witness and you know a little personal anecdote if i could but i as i say i transitioned at work and so i've had a long career at work and uh, you know, as a result of that, I feel it's incumbent on me to give people some time. Uh, they, they, they need to, you know, they may have known me 20 years ago in my working career when I wasn't fully out. Kind of. So muscle memory kicks in, etc. cetera. But uh, as I, uh, you know, have become fully out at work, authentic every day kind of thing. Um, I had a, a colleague from many years ago who reached out to me and Uh, had listened to one of our webcasts and shared with me that the reason he joined the webcast is they have a trans child and uh, said you know I I wanted my daughter and in that case I wanted my daughter to listen and know you know the possibilities that were there so for me uh, you know that's advocacy that that that's the story that I'd like to to hear and and be part of. And I don't cry easily. That one made me cry. And uh, it was, uh, it was beautiful. And then, you know, being on this webcast with Mia and listening to your experience firsthand and how you're navigating it. And all I hear is unconditional love. And I mean, what more can you seek out of a parent? And I think your child is in amazing hands and it's just wonderful to hear. So,
0: yeah, and um and what I just wanted to touch on, on on kind of follow that as well is that I think a lot of times, now I don't know what it's like in, in a Western family, but I think in an Asian family, uh, it's definitely a huge pressure on kids kind of going to a good school, getting good grades, very typical stuff. Uh but I think a lot of it is really kind of because they want them to have a really good career. Um, because they want them to have the security, they want them to have, you know, they don't have to worry about money or, or food or anything like that, right? Um so a lot of the times when I first came out as well to my parents. Uh, as, as transgender, um, you know, uh, the number one, the number one thing was that they were concerned about was about work. You know, what does that look like to my career? Um, how does my boss know? You know, what what how does that kind of play out in in you know in in a, in a full extent? And I think it's really nice to also see people like in your position, Terry, that like who who's done all that, that stuff and and who are at a C-suite level, who's kind of made it to the top, and to show us that there are there are these pathways there at the moment. I think in terms of representation for trans community we're still not quite there yet um, especially I think in that kind of corporate office space uh, but I think knowing people and, and knowing there are spaces now for these uh, for trans people to be getting the access to the top I think it's also very nice for other people for example for you know for parents like Mia to know that actually you know it makes no difference you know my kid can still work in these jobs and still get you know make it all, all the way to the top.
1: Yeah no, I know I appreciate that Emory I mean I I will reflect on that a little bit because that's very much my lived experience. To be honest, I, I think growing up in the profession that I did, growing up uh, in the age that I did, et cetera, there were very few role models, if you will. Um, uh, I mean, in North America here, and I, I, I started my career in some smaller offices at more remote parts of the country. I now live in Toronto. I've lived in New York, etc. But early in my career, I was in smaller centers, etc. and you know i think you can cast it in the whole light of gender parity period I, I saw very few female executives mm-hmm. in the profession at that point in time uh you know so uh extremely small number of uh of female partners in in the boardroom so it was only later in my career that any sense of gender parity started to emerge and uh you know this day, I kind of have this nervous tick where I do the gender math when I'm in a boardroom and I will look around the table and I'll count how many people are there. And then I will, you know, divide by the binary and say, you know, who, who's presenting female and who's male. And it, it always skews to the male side, even today. And then of course, my mind takes me to, I wonder if anyone else in the room is trans and, and, you know, you, you can't make that judgment sitting at a boardroom table, but that's the types of things that, at least in my experience kind of played on me throughout my career and frankly it was uh, you know I come from a very humble background I was the first in my family to go to college etc and uh, I needed a career I, I like you're talking about you know for your children etc you want them in good schools etc I you know I, I needed to make a livelihood I needed a, a job etc and as I started to progress throughout the firm and realized what the possibilities were it was always nagging at me but if that's never going to happen kind of thing so i'll just bring that full circle and say that's probably part of why i try to be as visible as i can at this stage of my career because i don't want those talented people in the bullpen and working their way through the system thinking i i'd like to but i can't because kind of thing so and, you know, just, just seeing the opportunities mm. throughout out there, and, and you know, this, is, this reflects broader society now, it, there was a time when you would not see a visible trans person outside of the theatre community or on screen or something like that, and, and you know, we, we all know trans individuals across professions and across age groups at this point in time, so uh, I really hope it's that much easier for the generations to come.
0: Is that something you, you, you think about as well, Mia? No, because he's awesome.
1: <laughs>
2: perfect, perfect answer, no. Oh, <laughs> no, really. This is like a stupid leader. He's super smart and like
0: uh, good. I love yeah, that. so
2: he's tough. He's, you know, he fights for his rights. He didn't want me to be the one fighting in school. He wanted everything to be him. I'm like, yeah. So he's set. <laughs> he will be fine. <laughs>
0: good well on the topic of rights um we're coming on to another podcast now but i just want to quickly touch on the a lot of the times what is being advertised on the mainstream media when it comes to trans rights terry let's start with you first because i know you're personally quite invested and quite passionate around this topic
1: i personally believe that this is nothing more than political action this is uh this is political gamesmanship it's an easy issue it's an easy target and frankly, a lot of the groups that have been determined to be behind the, the legislative actions, et cetera, that we're seeing have admitted that they, they were looking for a topic that would resonate with their base. And they found this very minor part of the community that was an easy target that, you know, with some sensationalism, et cetera, uh, made, made it an easy sale. So you've got. Things happening in state houses, for example, where the people passing these laws have no idea uh, of what the transgender community is, many of them have never knowingly met a transgender individual, and they 're just rubber stamping legislation that is you know very harmful to the individuals that are affected so that 's what we 're experiencing right now that 's why I think it's important to be 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 speaking up and I truly believe in that most people are centrists. And once people start to understand the issue a little more, we're going to see a shift back. But I just hope it's not too late for, for so many people that are affected today. And again, my heart goes out to parents. I, I, I know parents that are, as scary as it sounds, relocating within their borders. They're, they're fleeing from certain states to other states, sometimes going international, simply to protect the basic rights of their children. Uh, a little bit of that in our employee base, of course, but it's it's more the, the family units that I see being affected because it's usually a family member that's uh, that, that's impacted in one way or another. So it is it is scary times in a lot of ways. At the same time, I truly hope it's kind of the, the last gasp of desperation from a very small group of, of people. But as I say, unfortunately, they've got a hold right now that is damaging people as we speak. And so the sooner it can can be resolved and flipped back the the better for those individuals. So
0: Yeah. What are you seeing in um, in the Philippines particularly, Mayor? Yeah.
2: Well, at the moment I don't think there's anything going on in terms of legislation. But although there they have here a, a bill that they've been trying to push for equal rights and it hasn't been it hasn't really passed for the longest time. The the Philippines is pretty tolerant in general and historically uh, with the LGBTQ community. But in terms of trans, it's just, you know, this shift of pronouns for them is new. So for them, it's like, well,
0: why do we
2: we, we treat you normal? Why do we need to say he, she, they, them? So so that's just a little, you know, little nuance there. Mm. But in in general, a pretty tolerant society, I would say. But of course, you you still have people... Who are not, yeah, like anywhere. We we do want that um, that equality bill passed though.
1: On this topic of globalization and, and what's there, I just had the opportunity to co-author an article with two of my colleagues. Uh, uh, one is uh, a non-binary executive who is from New Zealand, uh, so that part of the world, and uh, my third co-author is an executive in the Japanese firm who happens to be a gay man, and you know, I I really appreciated that opportunity because of the globalization of the lens in which each individual brings to the table in their lived lives around the globe. And uh, what's readily apparent, despite, you know, differences of where we sit under the rainbow or, or anything like that, it, as, as well as the geographies, is the, the issue is universal. And it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the cultural barriers and the legislative barriers vary by jurisdiction, of course, but the the core issues are human rights. It, it, mm-hmm. It's just basic human rights that we're all speaking to. And once that message starts to be heard louder, I really believe it resonates with the general population in a way that takes it away from trans rights or gay rights or queer rights or all the rest of it. It's just basic human rights that we're, we're talking about. And uh, and most people can relate to that pretty readily. So
0: yeah absolutely well I think that's all we have time for today uh and uh yeah so thank you again for your time and thank you so so much for for sharing your story um i really hope this conversation can can make people just think about how we can be more inclusive in our daily lives by hearing kind of this real life experiences and real life stories and how that impacts one another that brings us to the end of the first episode awkward turtle over and out Thank you EY for sponsoring this mini-series of Transgender Inclusion during the month of Ada Hobbit. EY knows that diverse perspective, combined with an inclusive culture and equitable opportunities, drive better decision-making, stimulate innovation, increase organisational agility and strengthen resilience to disruption. EY has committed to advancing social equity and inclusive growth and stand against injustice, bias, discrimination and racism. Social equity is about clearing obstacles to resources and opportunities and building more inclusive environments. EY is working to create an organization that is equitable where everyone can thrive. Understanding others' experiences, even if these experiences are unfamiliar to us, is the first step towards creating a more equitable work environment. All right, episode is over. Thank you so, so much again for being part of this conversation, no matter how awkward the topic can be sometimes. Now, if you enjoyed the episode, I would like you just to help me with three tiny things. One is to just share this episode to who you might think would be useful to. Two is to go to wherever you listen to the podcast and give me a rating or a review. This will just help me to reach other people and spread the goodness of DEI. Now, finally, the third and final thing I need to help me with is to use what we discussed today in this episode and think of ways how you can also adopt the values of d in your workplace, in your business, or in your everyday life. Now, if you'd like to share that with me and the audience, feel free to drop me a message. You can go to the show notes and find out how you can do that, including where you can find this week's guest. So, as always, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one.